So this morning we begin our journey through the sacred season of Advent. Season of Advent is all about preparation and anticipation. It's about waiting, waiting for the inbreaking of God that comes to us always in the most surprising and unexpected of ways. For thousands of years, people have taken this month to prepare for the birth of the Christ child. The church has celebrated this, this four-week period leading up to Christmas since about the 5th or the 6th century. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, from the Greek word parousia, meaning coming. And so Advent literally means the arrival of that which has long been waited for. It is a time, as I said, of longing, of watching, of praying for God's healing, transforming presence to be ever more vibrantly present in this world. The text that will help us begin this journey through the Advent season is from the prophet Isaiah. And this word from Isaiah is a word of hope written to a people that were in the midst of chaos. Back in the year 587 BCE, Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and the leaders of Israel and almost all of the population were marched off into Babylon. The Jerusalem prophets made it unmistakably clear that the destruction of the city, that the exile itself were not necessarily due to the strength of the Babylonians, but more importantly, it was a well-deserved punishment from God. They were homeless. They were wandering in the desert in the midst of the Babylonian exile, and, and quite literally, they had lost everything. They'd been stripped of their homeland. The temple had been destroyed, and unmistakably, their, their faith had been shaken. And they stand facing the possibility that perhaps God had abandoned them, that they were no longer the chosen people. They're in this wilderness, in this desert, which meant their very lives were in danger. And they longed to go home. They yearned for a word of hope, for a word of comfort, which is why these words from Isaiah, the prophet-turned-poet, were so important, why they meant so much to the people. Because these words, they declare that, that this time of punishment, that this time of exile, was at an end. So I invite you to listen now to this word from the prophet Isaiah. Our scripture today is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Here begins a reading. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass, their consistency is like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, and but the word of the God will stand forever. Get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with might and his rules are with him, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in their arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it was this past Thursday night, after all of our family and guests had gone home, we had packed up and put away all of the leftovers. We had cleaned the kitchen for what seemed like the third time that day. (laughs) Kelly and I slumped into bed, and just as we turned out the light, she said to me, well, they're here. The holidays are upon us. Buckle up. (laughs) Does anybody else sort of feel that way? That the holidays are upon us, and here we are in Advent, and we're supposed to be preparing a place in our lives for the coming of the Christ child. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard to make room for God when this whole month feels like like an overfilled Christmas stocking that's just bursting at the seams with concerts and programs and Parties and cards and you name it. There's just so much. So much so that it oftentimes leaves us wondering who really has the time or the energy to make room for God when our lives are so full already. I read recently about a woman who got tired of preparing for Christmas each year. So she hired a contractor to come in and to add in her den a big closet, basically the the width or the length of an entire wall, and there were doors that would open outward that were placed along this whole thing. And then what she would do is inside this closet, she put up and decorated a Christmas tree, an artificial Christmas tree. And so the day after Thanksgiving each year, she would just open up the doors, flip on the light. Christmas is ready. And then the day after Christmas, she'd turn off the light, close the doors, Christmas has put away. Now we hear that, and we think it's silly, and we laugh. But how many of us are thinking to ourselves right now, (laughs) after umpteen different trips to the attic to get down all of the bins and the boxes, that sounds like a pretty good idea. If I'm honest, I might be one of those today. But it's important for us to remember that Advent is not about having the right decorations. It's about making space in our lives for the coming of the Christ child, about preparing a place, not necessarily in our homes, but more importantly, in our hearts. Preparing a place for Christmas in our hearts. You see, the wisdom of the ages reminds us that the journey through Advent is what we need as much, if not more so, than, than finally reaching the destination of the barn in Bethlehem. 
It's the journey that tells us to slow down, to take stock of what's most important to our lives and then give our attention to those things, to stare at the stars and to empty our hearts so that there will be room for the new things that God wants to do in our lives, the things that God has in store for us for the birth of something new. It's the journey to the barn in Bethlehem that calls us to be still long enough to listen to our longings. Now, when I served a church in Atlanta, Georgia, 20 or so years ago, I don't, I don't want to brag, but, but Santa was a member of my church. <laughs> Santa Dan was the real thing. And we didn't see him much this time of year because he was making preparations and had a few shifts at the mall to ask the kids what they were doing. But every year just after Christmas, he would come back and he always had the best stories. In one year, he told me about this little girl that he saw waiting in line with all of the other girls, but she stood out because she looked so precious. Her hair was done just right. Her dress was exquisite and delicately intricately pressed. There was not a wrinkle on her. There was not a hair out of place. He said she looked like she just crawled off the pages of an American girl catalog. And when she got close and sat on Santa's lap, she began to cry. Now, it's not uncommon for little boys, little girls to cry when they sit on Santa's lap, but this little girl, she was not scared. She was afraid, but she wasn't scared. So Santa Dan recognized this and so tried to change the subject and just decided in that moment to ask her, so, little girl, what is it that you want for Christmas? And when he asked her that question, that's, that's when the tears really began to flow. And she said, that's just it. That's just it. I already have everything. I have everything. And I am afraid that I won't get Christmas. I think we all live with that fear, don't we? That we won't get Christmas. Not necessarily that we won't get what we want for Christmas. That's another sermon for another time. But that somehow the wonder and the mystery, the awe of the season will somehow be lost on us that we get so caught up in all of the gift giving and the card sending and the party attending that we'll just miss it, that we'll get so caught up in what the season demands from us that we will miss out on what the season offers us. You see, Advent is about preparing ourselves to give attention to God's great gift, the gift of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have difficulty believing that we will see anything new because after all, we know the story. We've heard it before, year after year, in fact. And what could, possibly, what could we possibly see that is new that we've not seen and heard before? This year, our series comes with a hope that will help us reawaken the wonder and the beauty in the season of Advent. Because we're going to approach it through the eyes and the ears of the artists who have gifted us with, with poetry and paintings, with, with music, with movies, and so much more. 
These artists that will draw us to the wonder of the Christmas story and the beauty of God's great love for all of creation. It was Plato, the great philosopher, who once said, music gives wings to the mind, he said, a soul to the universe, flight to the imagination, a charm to sadness, a life to everything. Christy Nelson is a poet, a writer. She says, our use of language, either written or spoken, and I would argue sung, offers us a generous opportunity to dance with our imaginations. And the great poet William Carlos Williams says, it's difficult to get the news from poetry, but yet people die every day from a lack of what is found there. You see, our hope is that in this season, looking at the art of Advent, we will dance with our imagination, that we will find what we lack, what we long for. Now, the journey through Advent begins in the wilderness. That's what the prophet Isaiah said a moment ago. You heard the story. A voice cries out, he says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The journey through Advent begins in the desert. About 20 years ago, I was going through a difficult time in my life. My marriage at the time, it was a mess. I was miserable, I was depressed. I was working way too much, I was sleeping hardly any at all. My soul was in shatters. To say, to stay a step ahead of the pain, I just kept going and going and going. In part so I wouldn't have to sort out all of the things that were going on in my life. But to be honest with you, I was miserable. I was losing the joy of life, any sort of passion for living. I had several friends who didn't really want to be around me much, and I don't blame them. I didn't want to be around myself either. But there was one who stood by me. And one day he showed up at the church and he took me out to lunch, checked with my assistant, cleared my calendar. And when we got to the restaurant, he sat down and he said, Russ, I want you to know that I've cleared both of our calendars for the day. I have nothing to do today but just be here for you. Tell me what's going on in your soul. And so I began to tell him. And as I spoke, it all just sort of came tumbling out. It poured out. I told him how I was working too much, how I was probably running from the stuff that I needed to be paying attention to, but I didn't even want to acknowledge that stuff. I told him that I was a mess. And my friend interrupted me at one point in the midst of this rambling and said, you know, Russ, he said in a soft voice, you don't have to live like this. I said, no, 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 I, I know, I know. But listen to this. And I started telling him about something else. And finally, he interrupted me again. And he said, no, you don't have to live like this. 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 And after about the fifth time, I stopped protesting and I started listening. And like that little girl on Santa's lap, the tears began to flow down my face. You don't 
have to live like this. That became my mantra. That became my prayer over the next few days and weeks and months and years. Please, God, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live like this. And I realize now that my friend was fighting for me when I had no energy left to fight for myself. He just kept repeating, you don't have to live like this. In the desert, someone once said, all we cling to is the promise. And that's what I clung to. With nails digging in as deep as I could go, the promise that I didn't have to live like this, that, 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 that I could sit in the desert in the midst of all that was going on and cling to the promise that God is not done working in the world, that God was not done working in my life. I needed it to be true. That we don't have to live like this. You see, Advent is a season when we open ourselves up to God and we invite God to come into those places where our hearts have lost the ability, have lost the ability to be filled with things like hope and anticipation and wonder and awe. And we ask God to heal us, to transform us, to reconcile, to restore, to, to put back together all of the things that have fallen apart in the last few months, if not our entire lives. Rob Bell, one of my favorite authors, speakers, he says, Advent charges into the temple of cynicism with a whip of hope, overturning the tables of despair, driving out the priests of that jaded cult, announcing that there is a new day, and it's not like the one that came before us. So, church, during this season of Advent, is there any place in your life that has grown dark? cold, closed off? Is there any area of her life where you need to invite God in that you need to expect wonder and awe and dare I say like this candle hope? You see that's what we do in Advent. We ask God to meet us there to meet us in those places that we'd rather not go, the places that we'd rather not even pay attention to. We invite God to meet us there, uh, not necessarily on the mountaintop, but in those valleys, not necessarily in large groups of friends while we're surrounded by love, but in our isolation and in our loneliness. Not in the ways in which we've got it all together, but in the ways that we are barely hanging on. And we ask God to meet us there in those places we'd rather not go. Sarah R. is a Presbyterian minister. She's written a poem about Advent. It goes like this. If you listen closely, you just might hear the sun that whispers, draw near, draw near. To flowers below that straighten their spines and stretch their faces towards the light, and like that light which falls to the earth and covers us in a blanket of warmth, I see God leaning toward me, inviting my heart, beckoning my feet, leaning down like a potter to clay, a mother to a crib, or a child to pray. 
saying, child, my child, draw near to me. Draw near to truth and wonder and peace. For in my bones I believe that in the beginning God came to me, and just like the sun, which day after day invites the flowers to stand and change, and if you listen closely, you might just hear God say to you, draw near, draw near. You see, Church Advent is about preparing a place for something new in our lives, for something new to be born in us, and then waiting, waiting without knowing, waiting with nothing but faith and hope and love and peace and the promise containing all promises that the advent of God himself will come to those for whom have prepared him room. So this Advent, church, let us draw near to the one who leans down to earth and beckons us closer. Draw near, draw near.